0: while back, I was uh, looking at a few lists online of things people never say. And uh, first, I looked at a list of things you will never hear a parent say. And I want to begin by sharing a few of these with you. I thought they were pretty funny. Number one, finally, it's date night. Shall we go to Chuck E. Cheese or go play laser tag? Think a parent would ever say that? No. How about this? Number two, stepping on a Lego is the best feeling in the world. I can tell you it's not. Uh, How about this? Number three, when when you think about it, Disney World is quite affordable. I don't think so. I I also uh, looked at a list of things no true sports fan ever says. And y'all sports fans in here can let me know if these are correct. How about this? Number one, excuse me, waiter, could you change the channel? I don't think anyone in here is watching Monday Night Football. No? I don't think you would hear that. Uh, how about this one? I don't care if we win. I just want our guys to try hard. No. How about this? Number three, free tickets to see my favorite team play? Eh, pass, I'll just watch the uh, highlights on Sports Center. Wouldn't hear that, would we? No, no. Never hear true sports fans say that. Well, this morning we are going to learn that there are certain things that you will never hear God say in His Word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 18. We are looking at Paul in transition this morning as we continue our sermon series through Acts entitled To the Ends of the Earth. Today we're looking at Paul the end of Paul's second missionary journey to Antioch. He's going back to Antioch, and then we're going to look at him, go back out again, and start his third missionary journey. And next week, we're going to look at the ministry of Aquila and Priscilla and Apollos in Ephesus at the end of the chapter. And as we look at these two passages of Scripture, I want to highlight for you What we observe as we look at this story of things that you will will never hear God highlight, you will never see God highlight, you will never hear Him say in His Word as we look at this passage. Here's the first thing. The first thing you will never hear God say in His Word is this. Number one, my work depends on you. You'll never hear Him say that. Though God's book, his kingdom story is is filled with great men and women who have done great things for God, God's work is not, nor has it ever been contingent upon, does it hinge upon any one particular person. His work is not on our shoulders. And Paul is no exception to this. Look at verse 18 of Acts 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with them Priscilla and Aquila. For those of y'all who were here last week, you remember we left Paul in Corinth. And remember in the first part of this chapter, we learned that God did an incredible work in and through Paul in this city. We learned that there were many Jews and Gentiles who turned from their life of sin, gave their lives to Jesus as a result of Paul's ministry there. Luke tells us in Acts chapter 18 verse 8, many of the Corinthians hearing Paul Believed and were baptized. And the reason why we learn in Acts chapter 18 is of course because God is doing a great work through Paul, right? Remember, we're told that God told Paul to stay put. He was obviously getting restless. God tells him to stay put. He promises special protection for Paul in Corinth. And he does that because he wants Paul to continue in the ministry in this city. And God uses Paul to do great and mighty things. And he told him that he would. In Acts chapter 18 verses 9 through 10, he tells Paul, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one will attack you or harm you. No one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people so God wanted Paul to remain in the city for a time he provided special protection for him there and great fruit came as a result of this great ministry but again we learn all throughout God's word and all throughout this passage that God is the one doing the work This great work of ministry in Corinth was not because of Paul, solely because of Paul, and the success of that ministry was not upon his shoulders, but on God's. Though God used Paul in great and mighty ways, he is the one who brought the increase. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6, by the way. He reminds the Christians at Corinth, when I was with you, I planted. When Apollos, the great Apollos was with you, he watered. But who gave the growth? God. God gave the growth. Well, we learn in the first part of verse 18 that Paul and Aquila and Priscilla eventually leave Corinth. But they leave a solid church there. A solid, thriving church that continues on. Now, was everything smooth sailing for the Christians at Corinth? We know that they weren't, right? For those of y'all that can remember my sermon series through 1 Corinthians, the title of that series was Paul's message to a messy church. The Christians at Corinth were a mess. They, they Over time, they got into all kinds of, of issues and had all kinds of problems and and. We learn that God eventually sends Apollos to them. We'll learn about Apollos, more about him next week. And he also sends others, and he has Paul send them letters to straighten them out. But we must not forget that, that Paul was not the reason, Apollos was not the reason for the success in Corinth. Paul said that. It's God. God's the reason. He is the one working in and through them. And this is so very important for us to remember as well, believers. This work, the work of ministry, is not on my shoulders. It's not on your shoulders, but on God's. He is the one who brings the growth. He doesn't need you or me or anyone else to do this work, but he wants us. And he has chosen to use us in great ways for him to advance his kingdom and for his glory. And as I said a while back, this is a brilliant work that God does because the fact that he wants us and has chosen to use us and calls for us to be his witnesses, that keeps us busy faithfully serving him, right? But the fact that he is the one who brings the growth keeps us humble as we do so. See, that's a brilliant work from God. Paul served the Lord in this way. He knew that the success of God's work was not on him, which is why when he knew it was time for him to move on, he did so. He didn't hesitate. He didn't worry about the work he was leaving behind because he knew that God was in it. Paul knew that if God's work was on his shoulders, the ministry is sunk. And the same is true of us. God isn't in it. Doesn't matter who's a part of it. It doesn't matter how hard we strive. It doesn't matter the work we put in. Nothing fruitful will come from it if God is not in it. So the first thing God will never tell us, he'll never say is this work, my work of ministry is dependent upon you. He's gonna accomplish what he is willed to accomplish folks with or without us. He'll do it through our obedience, but he'll also do it through our disobedience. Listen, I want you to get this. The question has not, nor will it ever be, whether or not God is going to succeed in ministry. The question is whether or not you and me are going to be one of the faithful. That's the only question. I don't know about you, but I want to be one of the faithful. How about you? Here's the second thing you'll never hear God say. Number two. This is important. I am more concerned with what you do for me publicly than the way in which you live for me privately. Never hear God say that. Believers, though, God wants you here at this church studying his word alongside his people and he wants you plugged into this church and he wants you serving those in the church through the ministries of the church and wants you reaching out to others in your homes and in your communities and in your workplace he is just as concerned with who you are before him when no one else is looking do you realize that he is just as concerned with how devoted you are to him in private when no one else is watching. In fact, in those moments, that's who you really are. Do you know that? It's true. A great Puritan writer and thinker, theologian and teacher, John Owen, once said this about pastors, but it applies to us all. He said, a minister may fill his pews, his communion role, the mouths of the public, but what that minister is... On his knees, in secret, before God Almighty, that he is, and no more. Well said. Paul was in public before God and men what he was in private before God alone. Look at where we see this. Verse 18 again. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with them Priscilla and Aquila. At Sincrea he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. So Paul is is on the move again, rounding out his second missionary journey, and notice where he went. In this passage that covers Paul's travels, though Luke summarizes it just in a few short verses, Paul actually travels 1,300 miles here. Let's look at a map of, of where Paul's been up on the screen here. First, let's look at where he's been on the, his second missionary journey. You'll notice he's made quite a trip. That's some mission trip, right? All the way to, to Corinth. And let's go to the next slide. We see from Corinth, Luke tells us, that he stops off at St. Korea before setting sail for Ephesus. And then from there, he set sail for Caesarea. And then Luke tells us he went up and greeted the church. That is probably the church in Jerusalem. And, uh, and even though it says uh, that he went up, you notice Jerusalem is down directionally. They're not talking about directionally there. They're talking about in terms of uh, elevation. They often said, they went down from Jerusalem or up to Jerusalem because everything was down from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was up from everything else. Okay, so that's why they say it in, in that way. And so Paul goes to Jerusalem and then from there we're told that he traveled a few hundred more miles back to Antioch, and that ended his second missionary journey. So he did quite a bit of traveling, didn't he? He's made the whole loop here on this second mission trip. But there's something that needs to be mentioned here on his travels that I want to highlight for you, and that is the stop that he makes before going to Ephesus. Notice Luke tells us that before setting sail for Ephesus, Paul stops and gets a haircut at Sincrea. Now, that's very interesting, and, and the reason why is because Luke often gives us very little Detail about Paul while he is traveling. We're normally just told that Paul went here and he set sail for this place and he stopped off at that place. We're normally not told where he stayed. Sometimes we are, but normally not. And what he had for lunch and dinner and what he talked about and who he encountered on his travels, even though we know he had those kind of conversations and those kind of encounters. But when we're, when we're told about certain details, they're not by accident. We, the reader, are supposed to perk up and pay attention. And Luke, by mentioning Paul's haircut here, he's not doing so at random. This is not by accident. Look at what Luke says about it in verse 18. He says, he had his haircut, for he was under a vow. Now, what kind of vow was it? Well, in the Old Testament, there was a certain kind of vow that had to do with your hair. Anyone familiar with what kind of vow it was? You remember? The Nazarite vow. A Nazarite vow. Now, I need to say this. The Nazarite vow, it has nothing to do with being from Nazareth, okay? You could be from Nazareth and a Nazarene and not be a, a Nazarite. The two are actually spelled differently, so don't confuse the two. The word Nazarite literally means consecrated one, holy one, one who is set apart. And by taking this vow, one was saying, I totally consecrate myself, I totally set myself apart to God. So this was done for the purpose of offering special personal devotion to God. And an outward sign that someone was under this vow is they would abstain from strong drink and anything else uh, that had to do with grapes. They would let their hair grow long so that the other Jews would see them and would not be tempted to cause them to violate their vow. And wine was also associated with festivity and fellowship and celebration and a person under this vow was breaking from that for a time so that they could completely be devoted to God. They were also not to come in contact with the dead while taking this vow. We're told that in Numbers chapter 6 verse 7 because that would make them unclean and remember they were to be separated, set apart, and holy to the Lord. So again, those under this vow were completely set apart, solely and completely devoted to the Lord. And though we're not told specifically how long this would last, we learn in the Mishnah, the rules for the Jews, that it could last anywhere from 30 to 60 to even 100 days, okay? Now, there are a few exceptions to this. There were three who were Nazarites from birth. Samson was one, Samuel was another, and John the Baptist, all right? For more on this, you can uh, look at Numbers chapter 6. All right, explains it in greater detail. <clears throat> but apparently Paul had taken this vow for a short period of time. And he had come to the end of it. And by the time he reaches synchrea, he gets his hair cut. And the question we need to ask now is why? why? Why does Paul do this? Why does he take this vow? I thought... We as believers don't take vows today. I thought we're told not to. Why does Paul do this? Why does he take this Nazarite vow? Well, here's the thing. There are times in life when we do take vows. Am I right? How many of y'all are married in here? Did you take vows? You got married? Yes, yes. That's not what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5. Many of y'all are familiar with that passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about oaths. What Jesus is talking about there is he's talking about the legalistic practice of God's commandments, all right? Oftentimes when Jesus taught about the commandments of God, he increased the requirement. And that's definitely what he's doing there. There were were some who believed in Jesus' day that you only really had to tell the truth when you had made an oath, okay? Yeah, we got to tell the truth because we've made this oath. But if you don't, it's okay. Jesus is, is speaking against that legalistic use of that commandment. And he is calling for integrity with our language at all times. That's why he says what? Let your yes be Yes, right. And and there's something else to keep in mind here too in Acts. As we read through this book, it's important to remember that we're reading a lot of descriptive rather than prescriptive things here by Luke. The book of of Acts is a historical account of how Christ's church was started and how the gospel spread. And at times, Luke is just explaining to us what is happening and the significance of what is happening and he's not necessarily giving us commands all right now there are certain commands that are given to the church that we read elsewhere that we should pay attention to and do right but there are times Luke is just explaining what's happening and its significance just because Paul is taking a vow here doesn't mean that we're required to or that we're supposed to okay Something else to keep in mind that is happening all throughout the book of Acts is that we are seeing God's people in transition away from Jewish ceremonialism and toward New Testament Christianity. Though we see guys like Peter and John, Christians still attending the temple during the designated times for for prayer. And we see Jews keeping the dietary laws and keeping with and holding to the practice of circumcision. Though we see Paul making and and keeping vows here. We learn in Acts 15 during the Jerusalem council and and elsewhere as the gospel spreads to the Gentiles. Things begin to change, right? Right? And we can see that in our church today. In in our church today, we, we look a lot different than the church in the first century in Jerusalem, right? Now, nothing has changed in regards to the core teachings and practices of Christianity, but there's a lot of things that look different in the way we do things and the way in which they did things. So there are things that Paul does, and there are things that... Peter and and John and others do that we don't do today, all right? But there are also things we can learn. Even though we're not required to do them, we can learn from what Paul is doing here. For example, with Paul, the reason I think he is taking this vow, and the reason why Luke records it for us is because Paul is, is giving special thanks and praise to God for his provisions in Corinth. I have several reasons for thinking this. One, I, I read about that the Nazarite vow was, was often taken to show a special way of, of showing thanks to God for providing extraordinary deliverance and provision. For his people. It was a way for his people to show thanks to God for providing protection and care and blessing in a special way. And we know that because Paul gets his hair cut before setting sail in Ephesus at Sincrea, we know that Paul took the vow when? When he was in Corinth, right? Remember what happened to Paul in Corinth? He was in a a low place spiritually when he got to Corinth. We talked about that last week. Yet he continued to be faithful. And God used Paul in awesome ways while he was there. And he also provided special provision and protection for him in Corinth. God... Protected Paul, he promised to be with them. He did not allow anyone to attack him or harm him. So Paul probably takes this vow and he devotes himself to God in this special way to show his great appreciation for this special provision. And I know that's a long, long, long side note about vows and why Paul took his vow, but I believe that Luke mentions it here for us to remind us of Paul's personal devotion to the Lord. Now we often just hear about Paul's public ministry, don't we? But we're reminded here that there would be no public ministry of Paul without his personal one-on-one relationship with the Lord. Paul's personal devotion to the Lord enabled him to be publicly devoted to him and to his people and to his ministry. Folks, God is not just concerned about what you do for him publicly. He is concerned with that, but he is also concerned with the way in which you live for him in private. Who are you when no one else is around? Boy, that's a great question to ask. Who are you when it's just you and God alone? Let me make your toes really sore. Who are you in here? And who are you in here? So you'll never hear God say, my my work is dependent upon you. You'll never hear him say, I'm more concerned with what you do for me publicly than the way you live for me privately. The third thing you'll never hear God say is, there's only one type of person that I can use for my kingdom work. You don't get too far into God's word before you start seeing that that's completely false, right? God uses all kinds and types of people in his kingdom story. Men and women, the lowly and the prestigious, educated and uneducated, the rich and the poor. Again, his work is not contingent. It's not dependent upon any one type of individual. And oftentimes in God's word, when one dies, God raises up another one. And oftentimes that person is completely different from the person before. Yet his work continues. Look at verse 19 through 21. And they came to Ephesus, that is Paul and Aquila and Priscilla, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, they were always trying to get Paul to stay in Ephesus. We'll see that. They hated to see him go. He declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I'll return to you if God wills. And he set sail From Ephesus, So we see this a lot in Paul's ministry, him picking up disciples from one place and dropping them off in another. And because he couldn't be two places at once, he often goes in one direction. He sends Christ's disciples in another. Oftentimes he sends letters by by another. So he's often doing this in ministry. And here he takes Aquila and Priscilla from Corinth and takes them to Ephesus. He leaves them there and then he leaves Ephesus and, and heads off. Though the Ephesians begged Paul to stay, he could not, but he left them in good hands with this power couple from Rome, Aquila and Priscilla. And we're going to learn next week that though Aquila and Priscilla were not Paul, they weren't. God equipped them and he used them in in mighty ways in Paul's absence to prepare another one of his disciples for ministry, a man by the name of Apollos. So, though Paul left the Ephesians, he left them and the ministry in good hands with this couple in Ephesus. And, folks, again, let me remind you once again God's work, it's not contingent just upon you or me and, and our talents, my talents, your talents, and giftings in ministry. He doesn't need us. He doesn't, but he delights in using us. But get this, he also delights in using people completely different from you and me. I've said this before, believers, but but it's important for us to remember that we are all spiritual snowflakes. What I mean by that is there's not a one of us who is exactly the same. But we are the way we are. We are the way God has made us and has gifted us for the purpose of his church and for the purpose of ministry and for the purpose of building up this church for his glory. That's what Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There are things that God has gifted you to do in ministry that I can't do. There are things that God has gifted me to do in ministry that, that you can't do. It's important that we begin to see his ministry in this way so that we will value believers who are different from us, who are serving in ways we cannot in ministry. And it's also important for us to remember that nothing is upon our shoulders that God could replace any one of us at any moment and his work would continue. Do you realize that? He can raise up somebody completely different from me or you and continue this work it's very, very important that we keep this perspective. This perspective keeps us faithful, because we know what God's called us to do, but it also keeps us humble. Serving faithfully and humbly in God's church. There's another thing here that we see God would never say, and that is this, you don't need my people. You don't need my people. Though We think at times we don't need God's people. God never says that. In fact, he says the exact opposite. Look at verse 22. When he, Paul, had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. We, we said last week that this second mission trip of Paul's had been an incredibly wonderful, extremely difficult, tremendously fruitful, and enormously challenging trip. It was a trip of spiritual highs and, and lows. And though Paul and Silas saw great fruit, for example, and saw a, a great church planted in, in Philippi, for example, You remember what happened after that? After they started that great work and God started doing a great work in Philippi, they were beaten and they were thrown into prison. They then saw Jews and Gentiles come to Christ in Thessalonica. And you remember what happened after that? A group of non-believing Jews got people in the city riled up and chased them out of town. And they went on to Berea. And they saw a great response in Berea. But you remember what happened after that? The non-believing group from Thessalonica came to Berea and they stirred up the non-believers there. And then Paul went on to Athens and he preached the gospel there. And he saw many respond in faith. But you know what happened also? There were some who wanted to hear more, but there were others who mocked and rejected. And then Paul goes on to the wicked and vile city of Corinth. And though two leaders from the synagogue are plucked out by God they make Christ their Lord and begin to serve in the church there and a solid church is started there, there were others who rejected Paul's message and the Jews brought him before the proconsul in Achaia. But God provides special protection from Paul there and he ministers there for a time and then he takes off on a 1300-mile trip Most mostly by sea through Ephesus and on to Caesarea and finally to Jerusalem. And then he travels from there hundreds of miles to Antioch. And I imagine by the time he gets to Antioch, Paul is wiped. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you be? Not tired of ministry, but definitely tired from ministry. He's wiped out emotionally and physically and we're told at the end of his first missionary journey he spent no little time with the disciples in Antioch and we're told in Acts chapter 18 verse 23 that Paul spent quite a bit of time with them again why he needed God's people he needed God's people to be filled up he needed God's people to sharpen him and pour into him and minister to him Paul needed to be ministered to did you know that He did. He needed God's people. And we said this last week, if Paul needed God's people, we need God's people. Desperately, we do. And I also said last week that this is tough for for us to grasp because we're Americans, right? We've been taught that we're to be independent. We're to rely upon no one or nothing. And we apply that to our spiritual life. We believe that my spiritual life, it's all about me and God and no one else. When I go through tough times, I'm just to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and continue on. This Christian life on my own, that is not the example we see in Scripture at all from Paul or any others. Believers, we need each other. Maybe you're here and you're going through a difficult time spiritually. You don't know where to turn, what to do. I said this last week. This is the right place for you to be. Look around this room. You need the people in here. You need your brothers and and sisters in Christ for wisdom and direction and for courage and for comfort and for strength. You will never hear God say, you do not need my people because you do. You do. One last point, then we've got to stop. Another thing you'll never hear God say, this is a big one. Hang on with me. Discipleship is not all that important. You'll never hear God say this. Look at verse 23. This is the beginning of Paul's third mission trip. And where does he go first? Look at it with me, verse 23. After spending some time there at his home church in Antioch, Paul departed and went from one place to the next through the region of what? What does it say? Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples there. Paul went back to the same place where he had been on his first mission trip and on his second mission trip. And Luke lets us know why he went to strengthen all of the disciples there. Again, we've we've talked about this at length already. Although Paul did go to new areas to share Christ with those who had never heard God's gospel, he also went back to the places where he had been to strengthen the believers there. Why? Because Christ did not call for us to make new believers. Believers, he called for us to make disciples. Paul understood that. Second thing that Paul understood... Was that the most effective way? I want you to hear this. The most effective way for Christ's disciples to impact the world with the gospel is through us making, reproducing disciples. That's so very important. The most effective way to impact the world for Christ is to reproduce disciples who will in turn reproduce disciples, who will in turn reproduce disciples, who will in turn reproduce disciples. That's the plan that Christ had in mind. That's why our mission statement says what it does. We didn't just pull it out of thin air. And that's why our mission statement doesn't stop with the squirt. Though we want to see non-believers escorted to Christ, we also want to see them established in truth and equipped for ministry so that they will in turn reproduce reproducing disciples, so that they will go on and reproduce reproducing disciples, so that God's kingdom can grow and advance exponentially. That's the plan. If we would invest in that, if we would truly value that, we could make a huge impact. In this community and beyond if we would commit ourselves to reproduce reproducing disciples paul did that's why he went back and back and back through these same places to strengthen the believers so that they would go and do likewise now first things first before you can do that you have to first be a disciple That's step one. You've got to be a follower of Jesus. You you have to be forgiven of your your sin and made right with God through Jesus. Maybe you're here and you can honestly say that that you're not there yet. You've not been escorted to Christ. Christ is not the Lord of your life, but you want him to be. If that's the case, I'm going to urge you to make the biggest commitment you've ever made in your life this morning. A commitment that will change the course of your life forever in the best way. Scripture is clear that God has created us for himself. The problem is each and every one of us have turned away from the God who made us and created us to live in relationship with him. We have rejected God's rule and reign in our life. We've chosen to go at life on our own and because of that sin we have been separated from God. But you know what God's done for us? He's done everything for us so that we can be restored He sent His Son, God the Son, who came to earth. He became one of us. He lived for us. He fulfilled all righteousness in our place, and He also went to the cross. He laid His life down for us. He died as our substitute and sacrifice, and He took His life back up again. He was raised for us so that we, through Him, through trusting Him alone, To be forgiven of sin and made right with God so that we could have life in Jesus. God did this for us. Christ accomplished this work for us. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to give your life up and over to Jesus, that's, that's what's required of you. That's what God commands of you, to repent, to forsake your sin, and to give over the reins of your life to the Lord Jesus. Trust in him and him alone. your salvation if you're here this morning and you've never made that decision now's the time it's the only time you are promised to have is right now so i urge you if you have not make christ your lord today let's pray